ministry. And tonight, um, as I said, I think I said last week that that I'm going to preach tonight and the next Wednesday night leading up to the revival uh, on Elijah, three messages that I believe that just fit right in to help prepare us and get us ready for revival. And um, <clears throat> so last week we were we were kind of plowing again a little bit, you know, and digging a little bit and uprooting some stuff in our lives and getting ourselves, our hearts and our lives ready and prepared. So we're going to see tonight if we cannot uh, maybe um, get the fire down, see, get the fire to fall, all right? Um, how many knows we need, the church needs the fire of the Holy Spirit? And so tonight I want to talk to you from this 18th chapter of of, of 1 Kings and uh, <clears throat> about a formula, God's formula that I believe that we find here in the life of Elijah, uh, God's formula for revival. And so there in that 18th chapter, I'm going to read, uh, beginning with verse 19, read a few verses, and it says this, Now therefore send and gather me, and this is Elijah speaking to Ahab, Therefore send and gather to me all of Israel unto Mount Carmel. And the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long? Halt ye between two opinions. That would preach right there. How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. In other words, you can't have it both ways. You gotta do, you gotta choose one or the other. You follow follow the Lord and live for the Lord, or you follow the world and live for the world. No, no fence straddling, amen? No, no being in and in part with God and part with the world. And that's what that word halt means. That word there, halt, doesn't mean to stop. It means to waver. So he's saying, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? And that's what was happening in these people's lives. They wanted the best of both worlds. They wanted, they wanted God, but they wanted Baal too. They wanted both ways. And you can't have it. I can't have it. Nobody can have it both ways. So that's what Elijah was doing, was calling for a decision in their lives. And he said, if, if the Lord, if Baal is God, follow him. If the Lord's God, follow him. You've got to make a decision. And notice it said that the people answered him not a word. Well, that shows right there their complacency. They wouldn't say yay or nay. They wouldn't amen in him for sure. Amen. They wasn't amen in Elijah when he said that. They wasn't. They wasn't given. They wasn't given him any anything that that let him know that they were in approval with him. But neither were they booing him or denying him. So that showed right there. They're still wanting to be on the fence. So they just don't say anything. We're not going to say nothing. Amen. So like I said, that would preach. But we better move on. Amen. Verse 22, Then said Elijah to the people, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose the bullock, one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under it. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answers by fire, let him be God. Hallelujah. And the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now let's jump down to verse number uh, 30, if you would. Verse number 30, I think is where I want to go. Yes. And Elijah said, verse number 30, and Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the twelve sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. 
and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order, and he cut the bullock in pieces, and laid him on the wood, and said, Fill four barrels with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice, and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time, and he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time, and the water ran around about the altar and filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant. And that I have done all these things at thy word. He was just obeying God and doing what God was told him to do. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. Then the fire, verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and licked up the water that was in the trench. Praise God. Oh, when God does something, He does a complete work. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Hallelujah. And I'll just stop right there. Amen. God's formula, or God's, God's formula, I believe, is given here for revival. I believe that if we follow the formula that we see Elijah doing here in this 18th chapter of 1 Kings, that we would ex- will experience what he experienced, and that is the fire of the Lord to fall upon his people and upon his church. To see a revival, to see God turn the people around, turn the church around, turn people around back to him. Because, you know, we talked about last week, there was a difficult situation going on. There had been no rain now for three and a half years. We've fast-forwarded from last week. We've jumped in seven days to three and a half years, okay? Because last week we talked about a little bit about the bad condition that there was spiritually there in Israel and how that because of the sin of the people, the heavens were shut up. God sent Elijah to Ahab to tell him that there's not going to be rain, any rain, any dew, any, anything at all. It's just going to be dry until, until I say so. And we talked about how a man, what a man of prayer Elijah was and how that he had prayed. And James talks about it in James chapter 5, how that Elijah prayed and shut up the heavens for three and a half years. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave forth the rain. But there was a drought that had been going on for three and a half years. I mentioned last week that God was going to make the natural conditions match the spiritual condition because there had been a spiritual drought going on as well. There had been a backsliding of the people of God. They had um, turned away from the Lord. They had drifted far from Him. And the drought was a judgment of God upon them to bring them back to the Lord. And so here they are. Now, Elijah's brought them together, brought, called for the people to come together in this difficult time and after no rain for three and a half years. And so Elijah calls the people together and has the, pro- the prophets of Baal to come and all have a meeting. There's going to be a showdown on Mount Carmel. God had instructed Elijah to call for this meeting. And uh, so he gets everyone together there on Mount Carmel, and basically what he tells them to do or asks them to do, he said, we're going to offer some a sacrifice. I'm going to give the prophets of Baal a bullock. I want them to take a bullock and offer it up on their altar and uh, call upon their God, put no fire under it, call upon Baal, and then... I'm going to put a bullock on our altar and I'm going to call upon the Lord and we just see that the God who answers by fire, let Him be the true God. He will be the true God. 
And so the prophets of Baal, they're all for that. Everybody's all for that. And Elijah is such a kind and gracious preacher that he lets them go first. He says, you just take the first bullock and you put it there on the wood, no fire under it, and you start praying and let's see what can happen. Well, we know, we know what happened there. We see that, that um, the prophets of Baal, they put, their, um, they put their, their bullock on their altar on the wood, and they begin to pray, and they begin to call upon Baal. Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, send the fire. Oh, Baal, consume this sacrifice. And they prayed, the Bible said they prayed from morning until noon, over and over, praying for Baal to answer. And there wasn't any, there wasn't, there wasn't nothing, there wasn't nothing. There was no sound, there was no answer. And so, you know, Elijah, he, uh, he kindly made a little bit of fun of them, you know. He said, maybe y'all need to holler louder. You know, he might be kind of hard, maybe your God's hard of hearing. Maybe you need to cry a little louder. He's just not hearing you. So they did. They start, They jumped up and down on the altar. They got some knives and some lances, and they cut themselves, and blood was running everywhere. They were just doing all this stuff to get Baal to hear. And they, they, they did this. They acted this way for another three hours. And the Bible said that it came to the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. And Elijah finally said, okay, now enough of this is enough. You guys have been at this all day long and you hadn't got an answer yet. It's my turn now. So everybody just step aside. Amen. And so Elijah then takes his bullock and uh, he cuts it up and offers it and puts it upon the altar there. And he offers prayer. He prays a, a prayer that in the King James Version is 63 words. He prays a 63, just a short prayer. Here these guys have been hollering for six, seven hours and haven't got anything. And Elijah offers a 63-word prayer and just said, you know, basically he says, Lord, here I am. I'm your servant. I've done all this at your command. I've done everything that you've told me to do. Now, Lord, just show these folks that you're the true God and let the fire come down and consume this sacrifice. And, at, at, and, and just as soon as he offered that brief prayer, the Bible says that the fire of the Lord fell. Amen? I mean, he had even made it hard on God. He had put a trench around there. He had pour, had them to pour 12 barrels of water. Somebody said, well, if it was a drought, where did they get water? Probably from the Mediterranean Sea. It was right there. It wasn't far away. And, uh, but they poured 12 barrels of water. He got this, this bullock, this sacrifice soaked with water. There was a trench all around it that was filled up with water. Hallelujah. He was going to show them there's no sleight of hand. There's no trick here. There's no spontaneous uh, combustion going on here. We're going to soak this thing down and make it hard for God. But how many of y'all know that there is nothing that's too hard for God? Hallelujah. Nothing is too hard for God. The fire of the Lord fell. At the prayer of Elijah, the fire of the Lord fell, and it consumed the sacrifice. It consumed the altar. It licked up the water in the trench. Hallelujah. And the people fell on their face when they saw God answer, and they said, The Lord, He is the God. Here the people of Israel that were halted between two opinions and couldn't make up their mind who they wanted to serve, and that were lukewarm in their experience, experience with the Lord, wanting to serve Baal sometime and serve God some other time, here they are now falling on their face and saying, now we know who the truth, we want God, we don't want nothing else to do with Baal. I say they had a revival broke out, amen? They had a revival broke out. People are coming back to the Lord, hallelujah, 
And then not only that, but it hasn't rained, you know, in three and a half years. And so Elijah tells Ahab, he said, you better get on up to Jezreel. Because he said, I can tell you right now, I hear something. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. You better get in your chariot and get on up to your palace or you're going to get your robes all wet because it's fixing to come. A gully washer, it's fixing to come. A toad strangler, come on, it's fixing to come rain on this place. Oh, hallelujah, I'm about to get happy tonight. And old Elijah went up on the top there, climbed up there on the top of Mount Carmel. And he got down and put his face between his knees. He got down and he began to pray. We read about it last week from James, how that, how that Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. And he prayed that it wouldn't rain. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. And he prayed again and the heaven gave the rain. But here he is praying and he sends his servant out to see if there's any sign of rain. Now he's not up there just again willy-nilly. He's God has given him, God has told him what to pray for. God has told him it's time for the rain to come. God has dropped the faith in his heart as we talked about Sunday night to pray for this, for this rain, to break this three and a half year drought. I don't know about anybody else, but it's time for the spiritual drought within God's church to be broken. It's time for the rain of the Holy Spirit to be poured out again in these last days. I believe God's still the same, and I believe He's wanting and desiring to pour out the rain of the Holy Ghost again. Come on, somebody. Amen. The Bible says in Zechariah 10 and 1, to ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. And we're in the time of the latter rain. We're in those last days. We're in that day, in that time when we sang about, you know, we sing about uh, uh, let, it, let the Holy Ghost rain fall down on me. He said, let the former and the latter rain together. And I ain't talking about the weather. Let the Holy Ghost rain come down and fall down on me. How many would say, it's time for the Holy Ghost rain to fall upon the church. It's time for the fire of God to be rekindled again in the Pentecostal church. It's time for revival fires to burn again within the Pentecostal church. Hallelujah. It may be dark in our world. It may be bleak in our country. But I'm telling you, even the church may look bleak. But can I tell you we are in just a ripe position for God to do a miracle and send a mighty move of God in these last days. I'm not going to give up on the church. I'm not going to give up, amen. I know the devil tries to get you to look at situations and things and say, well, it'll never be any better than that. You just well get used to the status quo. I refuse to, to succumb to that or to get used to that. I believe God will turn things around if we, as his people, will only meet the conditions. I believe that. Amen? Man, he got to praying up there and he said... He said, go, send his servant out. He said, go look, see if there's any sign of rain. And he comes back, the servant comes back. I'm just giving you an introduction right now. <laughs> I didn't know if I could preach or not tonight. I forgot my handkerchief. You know, a Pentecostal preacher can't preach without a handkerchief. Come on, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> well, he got up there and got to praying. And uh, go out there and look and see if there's any sign of rain. Boy, that, that, that servant goes out and he, he looks out through the sky. There's nothing but blue skies. There's not a cloud anywhere. The sun's just as bright as it ever was. He said, no. He comes back and he tells Elijah, Master, there's nothing. There's nothing. 
not a sign of rain. And so Elijah just, what does he do? He didn't jump up and say, well, I guess I missed it. No, he, he knew he had heard from God. He knew God's going to send the rain. You know, that's the problem sometimes with us. We get a little too discouraged when we don't see a sign of an answer at the beginning. But we got to do what Elijah did and just pray again. Amen. He prayed again. And he sent his servant out the second time. He said, go out there and look and see if there's any sign now he comes back the second time and said master there's nothing amen oh hallelujah no sign of anything I felt like that as a preacher and um, as a pastor look out praying and seeking God and go to ch- praying for the service seeking God for a move of God then you go to church and there's nothing <laughs> amen anybody know what I'm talking about Hallelujah, you're praying for a downpour. You're praying for the Holy Ghost rain. You're praying for a move of God. You're praying for souls to get saved. You're praying for people to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. And you go to church all pumped up, and what do you get? Nothing. What do you do when that happens? You know, there's a lot of preachers get out of the ministry when that happens. So they decide to look for another church, you know, that appreciates them more. That's the problem. You got preachers running. I don't know where this is coming from. You got preachers running all over the place, you know. Amen. Just looking for that perfect church, but there isn't a perfect church. I've found out a long time ago that when we're praying and there's nothing, what do you do? Just do what Elijah did and go back and pray again. And he prayed again. And he sent him out again. And there's still nothing. The Bible said that he sent him seven times. How many knows that seven? What's seven? Seven is that number of completion. Seven is God's perfect number. Amen. And on that seventh time, he went out. See, the point is this. Elijah didn't quit. Elijah didn't give up. Elijah kept on keeping on and kept on praying. Hallelujah. And on that seventh time, he sent out that servant. And he came back the seventh time. And he said, well... There is a change. It's not a big deal, Elijah, so don't get too excited. But there is a little bitty cloud that's hanging out up there about the size of a man's hand. It's not too much to shout about. It's not too big. But it's just, boy, I've preached revivals when, oh, when we, if I could just get that little bitty cloud burst, I'd shout the victory. Amen. There's a little cloud. And I'll tell you what Elijah did when he got that news. That was all he needed. He knew that God had answered prayer. He had prayed that thing through. Amen. He, 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 he wasn't seeing the full manifestation of it, but he jumped up from there and he took off running. The Spirit of the Lord come upon him and he began to run run uh, back to Jezreel. And you know what? He, he outran the chariot of Ahab. I forget how many miles it was that he ran, but out ran. He's, Ahab's going along in the chariot, and he, he looks beside him. He sees something out of his peripheral vision, and he looks over here, and there's the prophet of God just running as hard as he can to the beat him to Jezreel. Hallelujah. Oh, he said, you better get up there because there's an abundance of rain coming. I've prayed, and there's a sign in heaven, and God's getting ready to see the rain church can I tell you hallelujah that the rain is coming I said the rain is coming the rain is coming the showers of blessings are coming I'm not getting discouraged or giving up cause God is going to send the rain of the Holy Ghost Woo! man those clouds sky got dark got black with clouds and there came a rain Hallelujah, after a three and a half year drought. Man, what an awesome day that was. Revival had come to the people there of Israel. God had turned things around for them. Hallelujah. There was fire falling on Carmel. There was was rain falling from heaven. God was answering prayer. Victory had come. 
things had turned around. The prophets of Baal uh, were no more. Elijah had them executed. They're gone. Glory to God. The people are now worshiping God again like they were. Man, that's revival. It had affected the whole nation. See, that's what I want to see, and I've said it before, a revival not just where we come together for a few services or for a series of services Sunday through Wednesday, but I want to see a revival uh, that would just literally change our lives and change this church and transform us. And not only us, but a revival that will, that will, that will have have effects in the community where people in the community are transformed. People in the community, their lives are changed. Amen. When you study, and I, I've read a lot about revival. I love to read about revival. But when you study revival such as the great outpouring and the great awakening in New York, Rochester, New York under Finney, the Welsh revival under, with Evan Roberts in, the, in, the, um, uh, in Wales in the early 1900s. Those great moves of God, those great revivals was not, it was not just, it was not just um, a, a blessing upon those that were there, but these were revivals that transformed the whole community, the whole area in which in which the Spirit of God was poured out. The Cane Ridge meetings in Cane Ridge, Kentucky in the 1800s. That, that was tr- the, the whole area was transformed by the power of God. In the Welsh revival, they had to shut down. They had to sh- and in Rochester, New York under Finney, the, the taverns had to close up shop. The nightclubs and the bars literally shut down. Because why, why did that happen? Because so many people got saved and delivered and set free that there wasn't anybody going to the taverns anymore. Can I get an amen here tonight? That's the kind of revival that I'm talking about. Somebody said, do you really believe that could happen today? I believe God can do anything that we can pray and believe Him for. There's nothing impossible with God. This looked like an impossible situation in Israel, but When Elijah prayed and followed God's plan, revival came and people's lives were changed. Woo! Amen. See, I keep reaching back there and there's nothing there. Amen. What great results. But here in this passage, and I'm I'm just going to touch on the high points, okay? I could probably make a series out of this, but I'm going to touch on the high points. When Elijah had this confrontation on Mount Carmel, after the prophets of Baal had done their thing, and now it's Elijah's turn, the very first thing that the Scripture said that Elijah did in verse number 30, look at it. Verse number 30, it said that, that Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And it says that he took 12 stones, 12 stones, and it said that each stone represented one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he brought those 12 stones together and used those 12 stones to build an altar to offer this bullock on. He rebuilt or repaired the altar of God. When he brought those stones together, we see here a picture of unity and a coming together and a unification. That's what this is a type and a symbol of. I really do believe that one one of the main keys and elements to revival is that very that very thought right there that that very principle of the church being unified and being together and being in unity. Oh, see, see, God can never can never pour His Spirit out upon a body that's divided or that's split. We've got to have unity. In Psalm one thirty three. Psalm 133, it says, Behold how 
how good it is. You got, well, we don't have it up there. Let me, let me just turn to it. Behold how good, I believe it says, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garment. You get that picture there, Aaron, who was Aaron? Aaron was the high priest. And when the high priest was anointed, they took that, the holy anointing oil, which that holy anointing oil is what they used to anoint, to consecrate those priests. It was a type of the Holy Spirit. And they took that holy oil and poured it upon the head. Oh, glory to God. That's that. You see, we don't anoint right. We got these little cracker, bo- cracker barrel bottles up here with some uh, anointing oil in there, you know, and we get a little dab of dewy on there. Amen. But I'll tell you what, when they anointed in the Bible, you knew you had been anointed. They'd pull the plug out of that horn of oil and just turn it upside down on your head, and it would just flow on you. And so it says that this unity is like that holy anointing oil. See, that, that flowed was poured upon the head of Aaron the priest and ran down his face and ran down his beard and ran down and dripped from his beard onto his clothing and onto the skirts, all the way down to the skirts. You know what that's a picture of? Listen, Aaron was a type of our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says of Jesus that God, had anointed him with the oil of joy above his fellows. The Bible says that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power and he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And it's that same anointing that was upon Jesus. That same anointing that he's poured out upon his body, upon his church. See the anointing starts with the head which is Christ. It starts with the head and then it runs down the head and drips off the beard down to the rest of the body. There's a flow of the anointing from the Lord Jesus Christ down to the church, to the head and to the rest of the body. I don't care what part of the body you're in. That anointing is flowing tonight. Hallelujah. And how good and how pleasant it is when we can get together and be in unity. That's when the oil flows. That's when the anointing flows. That's when the glory of the Lord comes down. There's got to be a coming together in unity. Amen. It was in the it was on the day of Pentecost. Where were they? They were in that upper room. They were in that place there in the temple, wherever some say they were in the upper room. Some say they were in the court of the temple. Wherever they were, the Bible says there was 120 of them there, and they were all together, and they were all in one accord. That didn't mean that they all drove there in a Honda. Amen. That means they were all in one accord. They were together. They were of one heart. They, oh, I'm about to shout. They were of one purpose. They were of one mind. Hallelujah. They were there for one reason. When the church can come together in these last days and come together as one and get unified with one heart, one purpose, one desire, one will. My Lord, that's when God can open the windows of heaven. We need another Pentecost. We need another Pentecost. And when we come together in unity, God will send a mighty revival in these last days. Come on and give him praise. Man, I just feel like an evangelist again. (laughs) Woo! Hallelujah! Hallelujah. So there must be a coming together in unity. You hear a lot about unity today, but it's in the wrong way. I said you hear a lot about unity today, but it's in the wrong way. We're being told we hear a lot about um, coexistence. You hear a lot about, you know, all faiths coming together in unity. That ain't, that ain't going to happen. Are you listening to me? I said that ain't going to happen. See, the Bible says, see, here he took 12 stones, brought these stones together, and built an altar, an altar. 
The altar is a type of the cross. Are you listening to me? That altar is a type. That's where the sacrifice was made. That's where, that's where the sacrifice was slain, was at the altar. And so it's a picture of the cross. It represents the cross. So any unity that we have, that unity has to be around, the, centered around the Lord Jesus Christ and around the cross, Christ and Him crucified. There can be no unity among, with us and others who don't believe in Christ and Him crucified. There can't be any such an animal as Chrislam. There can't be any uniting together of Christianity and Islam because Islam does not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That God did not have a son is what they believe. They don't believe in the cross and the blood and the resurrection and all that. We, we do. You can't join together in unity those two religions, so to speak, and make it work. It will not work we cannot, listen to me, we cannot sacrifice doctrine, good biblical doctrine for the sake of unity just so we can all get along. If they don't believe what this Bible says, we have no fellowship or unification together. Now I'm in trouble now. Good thing we're not on Facebook now. They'd cancel us plumb out. Amen? We'd be, we'd be like, hey, we'd be in the same spot Judge Janine's in right now. I'm, are you with me? We can't sacrifice, ever sacrifice. We can never compromise doctrine. For the sake of unity. And that's what, that's what they're trying to do today. The ecumenical movement. The, the world church. Globalism. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not being political, but let me tell you something. I'm not saying Donald Trump's a Christian, but let me tell you something. The world hates him, Satan hates him, demons hate him because he is not a globalist. Are you hearing me? He's not a globalist. And the agenda of Satan and all these liberals is to bring everybody together. And what they're saying is this, when we come together you will do what we say and you will believe what we tell you to believe. We better get, we better, oh, we got to have a revival, church. We got to have some revival. We got to unite together as one within the church. Amen. So he built an altar. He repaired the altar of the Lord. He took 12 stones and he built an altar and brought it together. And then the Bible said that he, verse 32, that he, he did something else. He made a trench. He dug a trench all around the altar. The trench was a, somebody said, well, what is he doing? What's Elijah doing? I, I, I believe there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a purpose here. There's a, there's a teaching here. This trench was a line of distinction and separation because Elijah was showing that there was a difference between God's altar and the idolatrous altar of the world. There's a separation between God's altar, Christ and Him crucified, and the idolatrous altars of the world. There is a separation and there is a distinction. Can I get an amen? There is a difference in Christian. There is a difference between Christians, truly born-again Christians, not people that just call themselves Christians, but people who are truly born again, there's a difference between us and the world. Not that we think that we're any better than anybody. We're not self-righteous or anything like that. Amen. We're, we don't feel like that we're any better than anybody or anything like that. But we are different. We've been brought out 
of the world. We're not a part of this world anymore or this world system. We're in it. Jesus said we're in the world, but we are not of the world. Amen. The Bible tells us that we are to be separated from the world and be distinct and be different than the world. It's not an isolation from the world. We're still here, but there is a separation from the world. Amen. Love not the world, John said, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Amen. So, so the Bible's very plain in 2 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, but in 2 Corinthians, Paul makes it very, very, very plain. He says that, uh, he says, to be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? I, you know, I could just preach on that all night. And it needs to be preached on more. Because we've got so many Christians, born-again people within the body of Christ, Pentecostal Christians, that marry people or date people that are not Christians and that are not saved. The Bible says don't do that. You love them, you pray for them, you try to win them to Jesus, but have no fellowship. There cannot be a yoking together. Well, I'm going to win them to the Lord. No, you're not. No, you're not. Amen. If they won't come to church with you, before you marry them, they definitely ain't going to come to church with you after you marry them. I think the lights went out on that one. <laughs> well, this is the truth. He said, there, he called, listen, Paul, and he calls the believer, he calls the believer righteousness and the unbeliever unrighteousness. And he says, what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? He's calling the believer light and the unbeliever darkness. There can be no communion or fellowship there. Come on, amen. Are you, are you with me? Now, I'm, I'm not making this stuff up. It's right there in your Bible. What concord has Christ with Belial? What part has he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, and I will walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You're the temple of God. God's dwelling in you. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and be a father to you. So there has to be a separation. There has to be a difference. Christians don't go to the same old dives that sinners go to. Christians don't tell the same dirty, smutty jokes and stories that unsaved people tell. Christians don't take a little drink or social drink, amen, with those who are unsaved, amen. We don't go to the bars. We don't go to the nightclubs. We don't go to the honky-tonks. We don't go to the pool halls. I'm getting, I know it's getting quiet now. Come on, amen. We don't go to the gambling casinos. <laughs> Woo! Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. We stay away from that atmosphere. I know that's not popular preaching. But there has to be a distinction and separation. We're different. We're different. We've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. Amen. We belong to Him. We sang about it tonight. I am no longer a slave to fear or to bondage or to anything else. I am a child of God Almighty. I belong to Jesus. Oh, I got to move. I got to move on. Got to move on. There must be a separation. I'm giving you the formula. There must be unity among the people, among the saints of God. There must be a separation from the world. We've got to come out from that mess. God, listen, revival, one of the things about revival is to bring holiness back into the lives of God's people. Bring holiness and righteousness back into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But then it said that he put wood in order. He put the wood in order. He put the wood in order. Everything's got to be decent and in order within the church. Everything's got to be done right within the body of Christ. We're not just willy-nilly here. It's decent and in order. Amen? And he put the wood in order, and he cut the bullock in pieces. He slaughtered. He, he laid that wood in order, and he slaughtered that bull and shed the blood of the bull and laid it upon the wood on the, and made it the sacrifice. He offered a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, which that sacrifice was a sin offering that he offered, which was a picture of the Lord Jesus and a picture of his death on the cross of Calvary. You have the altar, you have the wood, and you have the shed blood, which is a picture of the cross. The cross and what Jesus did at the cross has got to be foundational if there's going to be a move of God. It can't be something else. It has to be the cross. Everything that God does, everything that He gives us, every outpouring of the Holy Spirit, every answer to prayer, every healing, everything is foundational and it's based on what Jesus did at the cross. We have salvation. We have healing. We have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have uh, all the gifts of the Spirit. Everything that we have comes to us but through Jesus, by Him, through Him, and by means of what He did at Calvary. Amen. That's foundational. That's where, we, that's where we're planted. That's where our foundation is tonight. So real revival, real Holy Ghost revival. We're talking about a formula here for revival. Real revival. A revival that will destroy the powers of darkness. A revival that will, that will break the bondages of sin in people's lives. Will come in the power and through the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We've got to believe it. We've got to preach it. We've got to lift up Jesus, lift up the cross, preach the blood. Hallelujah. That's foundational and God will only move if we have the cross as our foundation tonight. Can, can you say amen? Do you agree with that? No other way. There's no other way. The demon forces of hell are on a rampage tonight. In this world, they don't fear the church much anymore. The devil doesn't, not like he should. He should. The Bible said the devil believes that we believe in one God. Satan believes and trembles. He ain't trembling at most churches today because they've, took, they've cast away the cross of Christ. They've cast away the blood of Jesus. They've, they've locked the Holy Ghost in a, in a back room somewhere. Hallelujah. Amen. And then they wonder why there's no power in the church. And then they wonder why the devil's running roughshod over everybody in the church. Because there's only one thing that Satan fears tonight. There's only one thing that makes him tremble tonight and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's when you point him to what Jesus did at Calvary because it was there on that cross that Jesus Christ spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly and triumphed over every demon of hell, every devil. He triumphed over the minions of darkness through his death at the cross. Hallelujah. Satan bruised the heel of Christ on the cross but through that bruise Jesus crushed the head of the serpent hallelujah there's victory in the blood there's revival in the blood there's power in the blood there's Holy Ghost in the blood it's all through the blood and the cross we gotta get back to the blood we got to get back to singing some blood songs and preaching the blood and believing in the blood. Hallelujah! The devil don't like the blood. Come on, somebody. Oh, I got, I got, to, I got to quit. That's the only thing that Satan demons fear. It's the only thing that will break their power off of people's lives. Drive them out and defeat them is the blood of Jesus. You remember, I've told you this before. These folks don't go here anymore. 
We had some folks took issue with me on this. Needless to say, they're gone. I'm still here. <laughs> but he, he told me. He actually wrote it. He wouldn't face me face to face. He wrote it in a prophecy. In a prophecy. As if it was the Lord. How many knows you got to judge prophecy? And he gave me this prophecy, and in that prophecy it said this, saying to me, he said, you know not what spirit you're of. I thought, okay. He said a few more things, but then he said this. He said, Satan does not fear the blood of Jesus. I said, oh, look out now. We're judging this real quick. It don't take long to judge false prophecy when it's that blatant. Amen. He wasn't even trying to slither in. He's just walking in and saying, this is, you know, that's, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Come on, somebody. Amen. That Satan does not fear the blood of Jesus. And the very first thing that jumped up in my spirit was Revelation 12 and 11, where it said, And they overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Hallelujah. It is the blood of Jesus that defeated Satan and continues to defeat Satan today. Amen. Hallelujah. The Apostle Paul said that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who believe not. Anytime somebody starts demeaning the cross, then we know what camp they're in right there. They're fools. They're fools. It's foolishness to those who believe not. But to us who are saved, the preaching of the cross is the power of God. Can somebody say amen? I said the preaching of the cross is the power of God. I believe we'll preach the cross, make that foundational in our ministry, in our church, that we'll anchor our faith in that. We will, we will never fail to see a move of God and a manifestation of the power of the Holy Ghost because that, that is, that, that's the, the parameters in which the Holy Ghost works is through that finished work of Christ. And as long as we make that our foundation and our anchor in our faith, we will always have a work and a move of the Holy Ghost right here in Farmington at Abundant Life Family Church. Amen. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. Let me close. Oh, hallelujah. I don't have time. Yeah, he did. He did. Only lost one, didn't he? Then Elijah poured water on the sacrifice, it said. He, dealt, he, he built the altar, he dug the trench, he slaughtered the bullock, and then he took barrels of water and saturated, saturated that sacrifice with the water. Water, of course, is a type and symbol of several different things in the Scripture, two things Mainly that it typifies is, number one, it, it's a type of the Word of God, the washing of the water of the Word. And also, it is a type of the Holy Spirit. It's a type of the Holy Spirit. And so, he's pouring out the water upon this sacrifice. And it shows us that the Holy Spirit is only poured out and is poured out only in relation to the sacrifice of Christ. In the book of Ezekiel, in the 37th, is it? No. 30. I thought I'd never, that never slipped my mind. 39. The river of God. What is that? 37 is the dry bones. Anyway, it's 38. It's in Ezekiel. Maybe it is 38. But the river of God flows from the throne, from under the threshold of the throne. And the Bible said that it flowed, Ezekiel saw that river flow from the throne of God, from under the threshold of the door, past the altar. The river of the Holy Ghost always flows past or through Calvary. 
from the altar. Amen. There was blood and water that came out of the side of Jesus. Hallelujah. Sim symbolizing the blood and the water of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Spirit of God will be poured out only on us. Hallelujah. As our faith is in the finished work of Christ. The blood has to be applied. Amen. And then the Spirit of God is poured out. I could preach on this all night church I'm feeling something here tonight but I gotta I gotta let you go home sometime amen but but in the cleansing of that leper in Leviticus 14 when they took that 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 turtle dove that sacrifice and they killed that dove and they sprinkled the blood and they took some of the blood and they dipped that blood on the ear on the thumb and on the big toe of that leper that was cleansed the the ear was what represented the the obedience the hearing the thumb the, represented the hand or the doing and the working. And the big toe represented the walk that that leper was going to go. That means the blood touches our ear so we can hear. And the blood touches our thumb so we can do the works of Christ. And the blood touches our foot so we can walk in the paths of righteousness and holiness. Hallelujah. But that wasn't all. They applied that blood to the ear, the thumb, and the toe. And then, glory be to God, that priest would take a vial of that anointing oil and pour it in the palm of his hand. Hallelujah. And he would take some oil and he would put the oil on the ear, on top of the blood, and on the thumb, and on the toe. The blood was applied. And then the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, was applied after the blood. God was applied to their life. Amen. The Spirit follows the blood. That's why the Holy Ghost, Jesus said, the world cannot receive him. It's only for those who has been washed in the blood of Jesus. And then that priest would take the rest of that oil that was in the palm of his hand and just pour it over the top of that leper's head. He was anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit. So the water of the Holy Spirit flows. That's what this represents, the water of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want at Abundant Life Family Church. We need a revival of Pentecost, folks. We need a revival of Pentecost, the restoration of the message of Pentecost, the fresh outpouring and filling of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Isaiah 43, 44.3 says, I will pour water on him as thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. Hallelujah. There was a powerful prayer of supplication made, 63-word prayer. And when he prayed, the Bible said, then the fire of the Lord fell. Two things that are represented there. Let me close with this. Fire is a symbol of God's judgment, and it's also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's a symbol of both things. The fire fell on the sacrifice as a judgment. It was typical of the judgment of God falling on that innocent sacrifice. If there had been no sacrifice and the fire fell, the judgment would have consumed the people. But the judgment didn't consume them because there was a sacrifice on the altar. And when the judgment of God falls, it will only consume those who are not anchored in Jesus and in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because listen, the, the fire of judgment fell at Calvary on Jesus so we could be free from that. So the fire of judgment will fall either on us or on the sacrifice. It has fallen on the sacrifice. I want my faith to be in the sacrifice. Can I get an amen? But it's also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. John said, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, and he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. This is the fire that the church so desperately needs today. The fire of Holy Ghost revival. 
Can I tell you something tonight, church? America, America, this nation we live in, will burn either in the fires of revival or in the fires of judgment. And I've got to say that again because I believe that's how, how crucial this is and that's how, how, how important this is, that this nation of ours that we live in that was established on the Bible, that was established on Christian biblical principles, this nation, the direction that it's going, it will burn either in the fires of revival where it's turned around or it will burn in the fires of the judgment of God. And I pray that it burns in the fires of revival. That's why we meet here two times a week and we pray for our community. We pray for our nation. We pray for revival. Hallelujah. We've got to have the move of God. I don't want just a synthetic Pentecost that is not real. I don't want strange fire such as Nadab and Abihu offered and were killed for it. I, I don't want any of that. I, there's been enough of that strange fire. I want genuine, true, real fire of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah, burning in our hearts and burning in our church. Amen. I believe this, what, what Elijah paints such a picture here of what he did. He did it. He said, I've done this because this is what the Lord told me to do. And God honored that and sent the fire. If we want revival, I believe we've got the pattern right here to have revival. Amen. Sister Leon.